Let us pray. This is my story. This is my song. What a story. What a God. What salvation. And what grace. We commemorate this grace now in giving. Not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There was something I was supposed to bring up that I forgot to do. Uh, I don't have on the bulletin on our prayer list Dr. Bob, but he's going to be going in for surgery um, this week. So I hope that you will remember him and uh, Weta. Uh, also, we're having a another Logos class this Saturday here at the church at 2 o'clock and Friday night at the movies. Doc, do you still have... Uh, okay. She's the one that's got the DVD we're going to see. I was just checking. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option to name any unconfessed sins uh, to God the Holy Spirit, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your plan, for Your grace. We thank You for the rain, for this beautiful day now that You have given us. We pray that You will help us to redeem the time by focusing under the ministry of the Holy Spirit so we can drink in Your Word in full measure. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are still looking at the what we call faith rest aspects with regards to what we've been studying in Joshua. And we've looked at the four oratory subjunctives in Hebrews chapter 4. And we won't go back there. Some of you will be glad about the, not going to, to the oratory subjunctives again. But we saw that they actually outlined that chapter for us and in that chapter is referencing something that is vital to all of us, and that is that there is a place. Uh, God calls it a place of rest. And he, gives it, he goes into great detail, the he, uh, <coughs> excuse me, author of Hebrews, by saying that not everyone has taken advantage of this place of rest. The first generation Israelites did not. They failed to cross the river and take the land. And they were punished and they uh, were essentially eliminated. Then in David's time, that place of rest was still available. And David said that today is the day that you can have that rest. And so we went into Hebrews chapter 4. And we have the exhortations for us to uh, enter into that rest. And we found out how. 
I'm going to put on, a, on the board the last thing that we looked at last time that might look a little daunting or intimidating, but it really is not. What we're talking about is how we can live a successful life. And what jumps into most people's mind when you say successful is bank account. Of course, you know better than that. Um, money is a necessary evil. Actually, money itself is not evil. It's the lust for money that is the root of all evil. However, uh, this is what life is all about. And it starts down here at the bottom. We're going up this way. And there it is. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says, Let us fear. Let us fear of not entering into that rest. So that presents an element of uh, fear, uh, foreboding maybe, but it's not the normal type of fear that people have, which the Bible condemns. This is saying that God has this rest, this peace that passes all understanding that is available to us, and every one of us should be fear lest, should fear lest we miss it, lest we come short of it. So there's two things in this motivation. We have fear of discipline if we do not enter that rest. That's what happened to the Israelites when they didn't cross the river, take the land because they didn't believe God. They were disciplined even to losing their lives. And the other side of this is the desire of rewards. Now, both of those are desires. Fear of losing out on something and motivation to receive something. In the sales training that I had, they said this is the one that motivates the most. And actually, this is kind of a, a, a fear involved in this as well. The desire to acquire rewards is really kind of akin to being afraid you're not going to get rewards. In other words, if you know about rewards and you have a desire to uh, attain those rewards, then the fear of losing them kind of goes hand in hand. Now, this, this motivation over here, actually both sides has an element of fear in it, is the greatest motivator. Uh, I think... I don't want to pick on the ladies. I don't, ladies, don't think that I'm picking on you, okay? I'm just trying to make an illustration. But I think that the ladies are more in tune to sales than men. Uh, now, that might not be true in every case. I mean, men like sales also. But I've never been around guys that come together and they get all giddy about a sale. I mean... Did you see that sale on spark plugs? Man. I mean, there might have been one, but we just... But I've been around ladies, and when they are talking, sometimes they can get pretty animated about a sale. Now, why is that? They, they found out a long time ago that the fear of missing out on something is a great motivator. So if you have uh, whatever the business is, they think, okay, we're selling widgets and they're $100 a piece. And somebody came up with the idea and said, what if we sold them at a lower price? And somebody said, are you crazy? We make less money. But he said, oh, no. But if we 
reduce the price just for a short time, it would motivate people to buy it while it is still on sale. And so that's what they do. I mean, do they ever do it? Can you go anywhere and not see something about a sale? There's always a sale going on on something. And the idea is if you don't get it during this time, you're going to miss out. And, of course, um, some of you ladies, when you buy something, you like to brag about how much you saved in investing in this sale. Well, I won't beleaguer that point, but uh, I think you get the, 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 the gist of it. And this is the way it is, this motivation. We desire, here's the, one of the problems, the, the rewards here. It's, it's unfortunate. I guess it really falls on the responsibility of the pastors are not informing their congregations about, through the Word, that is, the rewards that are available. Tremendous rewards in time and in eternity. Astounding rewards that can be yours. Now, I'm not going to say that they're on sale. But I am going to say it's for a limited time. It's only while you're still breathing. Because if you miss out on these rewards in time, then you're going to miss out on them for all eternity. So here you have the motivation of we don't want to get spanked and we want to get rewards. So this is a motivation to do something. And this is the first oratory conjunct, uh, subjunctive here, let us fear. Then the next one is, I think I'm going to retire this thing. I have a backup. The next one is uh, Hebrews 4. Let us be diligent. So here, let us fear, which is the motivation. Now let us be diligent. Be diligent to what? If you want to have the rewards, if you don't want to get disciplined, then this is something that is necessary. That is taking in the Word of God, learning what the Bible has to say. This is our owner's manual. This is our authority. And we should be persistent, consistent in learning God's Word because you are not going to be able to get the rewards and you're not going to be able to avoid discipline if you are an ignorant believer. And unfortunately, the world's are full of ignorant believers. It's all about emotionalism. They don't even know what spirituality is. They think that morality equals spirituality, which it does not. You know, unbelievers can be moral as well. So it's the pers- persistent intake of doctrine that moves us on forward. This is where God wants us to get to. Here's where the potential is. But you don't learn about these rewards until, first of all, you... Take in the Word and you learn that God has different types of grace. Remember, we have five or six different types of grace. Everybody has logistical grace. You're God's child. If you're a believer, He's going to take care of you. But He wants to give you extra measure of grace. We call it super grace. Not only that, He wants to unleash or release the what we call escrow blessings. They're always in this part of the church. I always look up here when I talk about the escrow blessings. Now, they're invisible. You can't see them. And they're not here. They're much higher. But when you get enough doctrine and you have the capacity, you can connect the dots, and God is going to start releasing these blessings to you. That's, that's something that's not going to happen until 
you are diligent in taking in the Word. Now, there are some other things that happen as you take in the Word. First of all, you're going to acquire endurance. Boy, do, do we need endurance? I mean, in life, it, we, we like to think of the Christian life as a sprint. Wouldn't it be nice if you could be on fire for the Lord for a month and you could coast from then on? Well, we live in the devil's world. He's not going to let that happen. So we have to endure. So the next oratory subjunctive, let us hold fast. Hold fast. Hold on. There's a song of the 60s. And when it came out, I never thought of it this way. But it was, hold on. I'm coming. That's our Lord's message to us. Hold on. I'm coming. And the only way that we can hold on is to endure and we can't endure if we don't know what's going on. If we don't know all of the assets that God has given us, then we're not going to hold on. We're going to be a casualty. We're going to be confused and angry and bitter and wonder, what happened? Well, what happened is you never got any doctrine, so you couldn't endure, and now you flaked off, and now you are a flake. So over here, I'm sorry, some of these things just come up to me, and I think they're a good example. I just go with it. Um, and it's true, too. Uh, if you're going to endure, then you endure what? Suffering and adversity. You are going to have suffering and adversity in this life. Should that be any surprise? We live in the devil's world. He's not a very nice guy. And so we can expect suffering. Now, there's two types of suffering. There's the deserved kind, which is punishment. That's what if you get, if you ignore, you don't fear of entering that rest, you don't take in doctrine, then there's going to be deserved suffering, which might be punishment. But there's also undeserved suffering. When you don't do anything to bring it on, and yet you suffer. So if you are taking in the Word, you're going to be able to endure the undeserved suffering. But i got bad news for you. You're not going to be able to endure the uh, type of punishment that you deserve because that's called divine discipline. And it's designed to be unbearable. It's designed to humble you. I can remember, I don't remember exactly what age I was, but when my dad used to give me, well, I didn't get spankings, I got whoopings. And I thought I was old enough that I'm going to show him I'm not going to cry. Well, that wasn't a very good strategy. He was determined that I was, and I was determined that I wasn't. Guess who won? I'm trying to illustrate undeserved, undeserved suffering, which we call discipline. Well, I, I, must, I must press on. Okay, the endurance also is the faith rest. This is what we're talking about here. Faith rest. That is entering that place that God says, this doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can be at peace up here in your soul. It's a, it's a quiet place where there's no static and noise. and it's, it's, There's contentment. There's stability. There's confidence. There's courage. That's where we all want to get to. But if you're going to have the type that gives you that joy, you have to do it God's way. You learn the things that is necessary here in order to faith rest, and then you're able to endure the suffering. But then look at this. We've got one more. This is 
Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So as you're enduring, you're going to come into all types of uh, circumstances that you'd rather not be in, things that are unpleasant. And so let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We need to, as we are enduring, to continue to pray. And it builds confidence. This is the ESD. That's a eternal. What is that? Eternal sense of destiny. That means you're reading yourself into the big plan. You recognize that what we do here is is very important, but it's a very short time. And what we do here is going to determine what we are going to be in eternity. Notice, I did not say where we're going to be. I said what we are going to be. I'm talking about in heaven. And when you can put that in perspective, when you are learning doctrine, you're applying doctrine, you're growing spiritually, and God says you're on track to get rewards, you can't even imagine what I'm going to have in store for you. And then you start thinking, okay, in eternal sense, I'm looking past just this, however many years I have left, or months, or days, I'm going to look past that, and I'm going to make decisions based on what's going to be best for me in eternity. What happened? Okay. Well, it came up here. There it is. Plus, so you have, when you are doing this, when you have the motivation, you take in doctrine, you have endurance, and you're praying, you develop an RMA. I'm just looking to see how many RMAs we have out here. But I know some of you can fool. You, you, you can put on a face that's very calm on the inside and on the, I mean, on the outside and on the inside there's a, a, a tornado going on. Did you all see the news about the tornadoes that are in, on the sun, surface of the sun? It said these tornadoes are as big as the earth and the winds get up to 300,000 miles an hour. I mean, we have a, a tornado and have 200 or so miles an hour winds and we freak out, and rightfully so. Well, some of you, at times, will have that type of tornado. Not the 200 mile an hour one. I'm talking about the 300,000 mile an hour one. And it seems like it's as big as the earth. But if we have a relaxed mental attitude, if we have been faith resting and we've been learning promises and take advantage of this rest that is available to us today, then we're going to be easier to live with. Wouldn't you like the people that you are close to to be easier to live with? Well, I would too. But you know where you got to start? With moi. We start with ourselves. Okay, so you have the confidence. All this is building up towards finally in Luke 6.23... Your reward is great in heaven. If you've gone all the way through here, we're talking about super grace blessings in time and surpassing grace blessings in eternity. Now, this is the ball game here in the capsule form. This is God's plan. This is how we move from trying to figure out what in the heck is going on. What is this world all about? Why does this all this stuff have to happen to me? I'm as good as I know how to be. Oh, well, sure, I get off track a little bit, but why, why, why? Well, this is why. You're going to have suffering. 
but let's make it undeserved suffering. Let's keep that relaxed mental attitude and keep looking forward to what this is going to result in, in, all, in for all eternity. Now, that's kind of the gist of where we've been. I'm going to show you one other thing that uh, is a verse that I think, two verses here. This is also in Hebrews that kind of puts this in perspective. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance. Remember, that's what it was all about, enduring. Remember this? Right after you take in the Word. One of the automatic results of getting into the Word. And I'm not talking about coming to Sundays and reading the Bible or trying to stay awake while the preacher is droning on and on. I'm talking about it becoming the most important thing in your life. This is your go-to book, the Bible. And you're not just reading it so that you will develop an inventory of stories. No, you have to get into the mechanics. How do we live the Christian way of life? How can we be happy and live the abundant life that God wants us to? The answers are there, but you have to seek them. You have to want them. And so that is going to create endurance. So that's why I'm going to this next uh, verse here. Hebrews 10:36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. In context of what I've been talking about here, what is the will of God? Now, of course, the will of God for all mankind is that to be saved to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is talking more about His will is for you to enter that rest. And so it says, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Remember, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it was around verse uh, eight, uh, 7 or 8, somewhere in there, it was explaining how this rest that God has for us is like the rest that God had after He had restored planet Earth in six days. Remember that? What did, what did He do? He rested because He had done everything that was necessary. When we put our burden on the Lord, when we trust Him with all the baggage that we're carrying, that we gets heavier and heavier, when we do that, when we faith rest, when we're trusting the Lord with these problems, then we've done everything that's necessary in the spiritual realm. Now, of course, there are things that we need to comply with re with regards to His mandate. But spiritually, that's what we've done. He says, so that you may re receive what was promised. What's re what was promised? Well, the potential for rewards. Now, don't think that I'm saying that all you have to do is keep on learning the precepts of the Bible and endure from that and everything is going to go just rosy for you. This is not talking about a rosy path. The yellow brick road or sugar plum mountain. We're not talking about and they lived happily ever after because that's not the real world. So we're not talking about these verses that God is just going to do away with all the adversity in your life. It's not the adversity that's the problem. You know that? 
It's the stress, isn't it? It's what the adversity causes. And this is a promise from God saying, I can turn off the stress. I can turn off the worry. If you, if you just trust me. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, trust me with it. Put it on me. Stop thinking about the problem and start thinking about me and what I can do for you. And there's the solution. Verse 37. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now, if this was a charismatic church, this would be your key to, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Come, Lord Jesus! And that's okay. I know you're all doing it in your mind, right? I mean, it's hard to say that and just... And yet in a little very while, He will come and He will come and will not delay. Okay, let's get on the next verse. Are you looking forward to that? I can't wait. What was it? Something happened in my house. Something I couldn't find Carrie. I think that's what it was. And I thought, she has to be here. I didn't hear a shout. I didn't get left behind, did I? <laughs> oh, no! I shouldn't tell you these things. Oop, hit the wrong button here. Okay, verse 38. But my righteous one, that is a believer, with, listen to this, experiential righteousness. All God's children has imputed righteousness. We're talking about the kind of righteousness that develops over time as you keep taking in the Word. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Faith rests. Are y'all, did y'all turn to Hebrews 10? Okay. You might make these little notations. It helps. And if he shrinks back, that means negative volition, no doctrine, no faith rest, my soul has no pleasure in him. And this is talking about divine discipline. Now, I'm not going to bore you with uh, some of the um, figures of speech, but this is a litotes. Some of you remember what a litotes is. It's understating something big time. When it says that if you shrink back, if you don't faith rest, if you have negative volition, you're not getting doctrine, no faith rest, he says, my soul will have no pleasure in him, in that one? No, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to just rip you to pieces. That's what that means. But you would never know it in the English. But if you were a Greek speaker and reader... You would say, whoa. It's kind of like speaking, it's saying something in the negative to accentuate the, a, a positive. In other words, if I always go back to this one. It's the only one I can remember because it's so great. If you were a teenager and you went and saw Elvis Presley at a concert and he just blew you away. Notice I didn't say the Beatles. I said Elvis Presley. Uh and you got home and your, and your parents said, well, uh, what do you think of Elvis? And you said, well, he's not a bad singer. See, you're understating it. What you really meant is he is wonderful. Okay, we'll just move on. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Look at this. Destruction? This is what people aren't getting. They think that they can be mediocre, have a cavalier attitude. I can take or leave church and doctrine and all that God stuff. 
Well, it's true. They can do that. But what they don't realize is uh, you can't sit a fence. You're either on one side or the other. And if you're not on the right side, you're in heat big trouble from the Lord Himself. And this is when He's saying, uh, we are not those who shrink back to destruction. This can even refer to the sin unto death. When God keeps knocking with, with warning discipline, He intensifies that discipline. And then He has the most severe discipline. If a person, if a believer continues to be negative, it just very well might take you out. does it all the time. Sin unto death. But those who have faith rest to the preserving of the soul. You know what this is? Preserving of the soul. Now, what do you think when it says to the preserving of the soul? In, in our culture, in our language, when we think about saving the soul, the word here, preserving, could be saving the soul. What do you think of? Somebody believes the gospel and they're saved. That's not what this is talking about. You know, never in the Bible does preserving or saving the soul refer to the soul up here. It's referring to the person. Saving the person, what it's talking about, saving the body, actually is what it's talking about here. So he says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction where they are going to physically die from punishment, but those who have faith rest, we're trusting the Lord to preserving the soul are, in other words, not dying physically. That's what that means. Okay. Um, that was just tidying up what we did last time a little bit. One of the things that you do in order to faith rest is claim promises. I guess I'll put these on the board. They're probably too small for you to see. And don't squint, because I wasn't even going to show you these anyway. I was just going to give you addresses. One way that you faith rest is to know some promises that God has made, and then when you hear those promises, when you refer to them, then you believe them and you enter that place of rest. That's one way to do it. So here are some verses just to help get you kick-started, to kick-start you with regard to faith rest. Oh, it's in my hand. <laughs> okay. Hebrews 13:5. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's a promise from God. Deuteronomy 31:6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble for them. Uh, tr uh, tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes before you. He will not forsake you. Deuteronomy 31:8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. I'm going to have to short shorten this down to 100%. I can't see it all. Okay. Let's make it worse for you, but better for me. Uh, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 37.5 I have been young and now I am old, yet I have, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. This refers to God's logistical grace. He takes care of his believers and my favorite, Isaiah 41.10. Uh, this is not the translation that I remember. I 
remember the King James Version. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Every time you're worried, every time you're afraid, that's my go-to verse. Psalm 50:15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. You honor him by trusting him. Psalm 102:17. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you're for and for help, He's a very present help in time of trouble. That's another one, by the way. Second um, Corinthians twelve eight and nine. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you." For power is perfected in weakness. This is, of course, Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. But he went to the Lord, and the Lord said, No, I'm not going to take it away because I'm going to show you something. My grace is sufficient in all things. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? You can even love that person you cannot stand. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you ask the Lord to give you what you cannot have, and that's a loving, forgiving type heart, He will see to it that you can do it. And here's one. Uh, six verses later, Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you have needs? You have needs that you don't know how you're going to, what you're going to do about them. Well, you have an option. You can let distress eat on you until your body's wore out, or you can face rest. Father, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do about it, but I do know that I can put it on you. So here it is. The whole smear is yours. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to depend upon you to take care of it. There. Then what happens? You turn right around and start worrying. <laughs> well, that happens sometimes. But what happens if you do that and you say, I'm going to concentrate on God and His provision rather than the problem, you can do that. See, we are not slaves to our minds. In other words, you can choose what to think about. If you want to, if you want to focus on the problem, you're welcome to do it and see how that goes for you. Or you can concentrate on the Lord and who He is, what He is, and how He's going to handle it. And guess what? That's, that problem gets smaller and smaller the more you concentrate on the Lord. Here's another one. Uh, in Matthew 6, verse 25, 31, and 34, He says, Do not be anxious. This is the same thing as saying, Stop worrying. You know what I'm looking at? i got to look up here too. There's a mirror up there. I can see myself. So I'm looking up there as well. I'm looking at a bunch of worriers. And I'm one as well. Sometimes. Am I right? That's right. You can turn the worry off. 1 Corinthians 10:13 There is no temptation actually this word should be should have been translated testing 
There's no testing that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Sometimes you think, this has never happened to anybody. Oh, yes, it has. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to what? What? Endure it. See, it's about enduring. You will be able to endure it. But we don't want to endure it, do we? What do we want? Get rid of it. My little boy, my neighbor used to say, get shed of it. Get shed of it. Get rid of it. That's what we want. We don't have that option. But we do have the option when we go to the Lord that He's going to do whatever it takes to enable us to endure it. And why does He not remove it? Because He's going to show us great and mighty things that He's going to do to get us through it so that we're able to bear it. And of course, Romans 8, 28. And we know that... God causes all things to work together for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. All things don't work together for good, do they? This doesn't say that all things work together for good. There's a condition there, doesn't it? To those who love God. Those who love God are the ones that know Him. You can't know Him if you weren't motivated, that first thing, to start learning doctrine. Then you start learning doctrine, and that motivates you even more to endure. And as you endure, you build confidence. And confidence, if you hold on to that confidence, is going to eventuate in rewards. Are you all ready to change gears again? I was just showing you some, uh, a few of the verses. You should... Make a list like that and build on it. Find them for yourself. See how wonderful that's going to be. Okay. Oh, here's a good thing. I forgot about this one. Here's your option. <laughs> well, that's the wrong one. I've got another one, though. Uh, here it is. Here's your option. Um Y'all are already looking at it over there, aren't you? Oh, you don't see it over there? Okay, good. Okay, now you can see it. <laughs> if it's on there. Well, y'all can't even see it yet. Okay. There you go. What type of person you want to be? You want to look like this? Or you want to look like this? She knows, she knows no promises, believes no promises. She doesn't know these. For instance, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look here. No faith rest. These are some of the things that would impede your thinking, your mind. Do you see anything different? I changed this from the one from when you saw it. Y'all saw this once before. I added storms. Uh, we had a storm come. Uh, come through. I thought, wow. I better put storms in there. We just had one. Did you? Four inches of rain at my house. That has not happened since I don't know when. So we got here's all the things that can be. But faith rests. See, that blocks all this business. She knows promises and believes promises, and she does what this says: cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. Uh, Psalms 55. Uh, that should be five. <laughs> no, it's Psalm 55. 22. This is also in, uh, Peter also wrote this also. Y'all might add this to your promises, I mean, to your scriptures. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight, Psalm fifty five twenty two. Now, if you do this, if you continue to faith rest, you might be able to be akin to this cat. Talk about faith rest. Look at this guy here. He looks like he's ready for dinner. Here's the scripture, Psalm 23:40. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's where we want to get to there. That's not arrogance. That's faith resting, you see. Picture's worth a thousand words sometimes, isn't it? Now, I said we were going to switch gears. That wasn't the gears yet. Y'all ready to switch gears now? If I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Um, we see how important it is to faith rest. You, you, part of faith resting is claiming promises for sure. But another way, I, I think the most simplest way to utilize faith rest, the way that you can, if you can't think of any verses and you're so afraid, just start thinking about God and thinking about His essence and you will be surprised what calming effect comes over you. And so I only have time to start it today, but we're going to see uh, what is called, what I call, the essence box. What this is is someone much smarter than I took God's attributes, ten attributes, and put them in a box and called it the essence box. It's so smart to do that because if you just list ten attributes, uh, it's harder to remember. But when someone says essence box to me now, in my mind's eye, I see a box and I can start seeing all the attributes there just because they're in a box. So I put them in a box. The first one we're going to look at is... God's justice. What is God about? How can He solve my problem? And when you start focusing on Him, if you start focusing on His attributes, wow! It nearly uh, it just does so much. And here's the uh, a few notes that I have there. The definition: justice is the quality of being just, righteous, equitableness, or moral rightness. The moral principle determined, uh, the moral principle determining just conduct, just righteous conduct, to act or treat justly or fairly. The administering of deserved punishment or reward. Now, you know, I was, I could just swing right on by here and go to the next one, but I want you to think about this a moment. God being just means that He is fair. And there are a lot of people who would besmirch this particular attribute and they would say, how can God be fair? You say, well, why do you think He's not? Well, look at the world. I mean, all of the crime and disease and storms and things, that if we just live in a horrible world. How is it fair that He makes us live in this kind of world? Well, first of all, if, anyone, if you go to college, sometimes the professors will say, if they're an atheist, and, they're, and listen, this happens every day. They attack young people who are reared in, in churches with, with uh, Christian parents, 
And they try to whittle away at their values and their thinking system. And if they're not prepared, they are toast. So they will say, okay, you, do you believe in God? And you would, the, 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 the youngsters would say, yes, of course I do. Well, do you believe he's a just God? Well, yes, I do, of course. They said, well, okay, how can you explain the fact that in this world is a mess? All the calamities and problems and issues that people have. He said, which is it? Either God is not powerful enough to do anything about it, or he just doesn't care. Now, which one is it? How would you answer that? Hmm? And, 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 the, and they start questioning what, what they learned because they weren't prepared properly. Of course, the answer to that to begin with is God didn't create the earth the way it is now. He created it and populated it with two people, and it was perfect. And there was no disease. And there was no crime. There weren't, even the weather was perfect. Everything was perfect. And, of course, we know what happened. The woman sinned. (laughs) I'm sorry, ladies. That was a joke. It was not a joke. It is true. But God didn't condemn man and the earth for her because she did it in ignorance. She still had to face the music. But um, Adam sinned. And when he sinned, he, he was in charge of the world. And really what happened is he gave up his headship over the world and the usurper Satan came in and he's been in charge ever since. We live in a fallen, sin-sick world. So why, do we, why are we so surprised that things are not fair and they're not just? You know, we all have to come to grips with this. I think most of the time it happens with teenagers. If they have really great parents that are loving and and are involved in their lives and they're training them, and they're kind of living in a cocoon. And then as they start to grow and develop, they start getting outside the family some, and they start getting into the real world, and they come home to their parents and say, well, you know, such and such happened. And they say, well, I know, hon, those things happen. Well, it's not fair. The best thing the parents can do is say, well, there you go. You're learning it. You're going to see we live in a fallen world. I want to say it's not God's fault, but that sounds kind of petty. God could have it to where there is a perfect world with perfect people, perfect environment. Everything could be perfect. Even to this day, He could have done that if He chose to do it. There's only one thing that He would have had to do. Had to do, had to do. One thing He could have did. <laughs> anyway... Um, what he, he, all he had to do is not give us volition, and he could have had a perfect world. He could have pro, pre-programmed us like robots. I will be good, you know, like this. But he didn't. He gave us free will, and when he did that, really it opened up Pandora's box. And that's why we have an unfair world. But you know, that's not the end of the story. There is good news in there. Remember what we saw a while ago about. Him returning, he is going to put it back as it was. And a God that can do that and still give us free will is, he is mighty, mighty. So, the justice part is that God is only doing what he 
And this is perfect justice. It's hard for us today to understand justice, especially because there's a lot of people that are so distant in their mind from justice because we are a weak, uh, wishy-washy, we don't hold to the standards like we used to. I'm... Some of you are older than me. Some of you are younger. But anybody that is my age knows they can look back in their day and they can see that everybody was held at a much higher standard. There was justice. Justice means you just don't... Well, he doesn't really have a... a, He's not really a fornicator and he's not really a rapist. He just has a sexual addiction that is a disease. And so we mighty coddle. Oh, well, let's put him in a... Uh, you understand what I'm saying. The courts are a joke. The justice that... And that's why when we see things in the Bible, when God's justice comes down, people, oh, what kind of God is that? Well, that's a just God. They, they're just not... They don't realize what justice is anymore. But the good news is He's not just just, he's also righteous. He can't do anything that's not right. But not only is our God just and righteous, here's the icing on the cake. He's also full of grace and mercy. And I like that. The more mercy, the better. Remember what the difference is between grace and mercy, right? Do I need to tell you again? You want to hear it again? Okay. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve the blessing God gives us. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. I think I get more mercy than grace. I don't know. Anyhow, um, and here's the thing about God's justice. This, this is a, a divine principle. Grace always comes before justice. God will treat you in a gracious manner for a while. I think His grace has been poured out on this country for a long time. And I think that we are on very thin ice because there will be a time, it always is, when His justice will act. Because the next point here, oh, it's it's in the next slide, God is also righteous, and what the righteousness of God demands, the justice of God carries out. Sodom and Gomorrah had grace for I don't know how long. It was a long time. And they got accustomed to the way they were living. And they, get, they, they start to think, well, there's no just God. Everything goes on the way it always has. There's nothing going to happen. How many people in this country? Oh, we live in the USA. Great, greatest, greatest country ever was. Nothing's going to happen. Oh, yeah? Blind leading the blind. So, is this fair? Look at this. Everybody can be saved, and everyone is saved the same way. That's fair, isn't it? And anyone, if they don't want to be saved, don't have to be saved. If you go and give the gospel to someone, and you say, look, you've got a sin problem, 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took care of that sin problem on the cross, and you can go to heaven. And you don't have to work. All you have to do is believe, accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. And a person says, no, I don't think so. No thanks. They're free to do it. Now, you talk about dumb. But it's arrogance. It's thinking, no, I'll get there my way. And there's only one way. That's God's way. And that's the grace way. And that's faith alone in Christ alone, as we will see. And that is just. Here's a, hmm. uh, here is an example of our Lord's justice in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 41 through 42, that some people would be a little shy about. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. I will make, any, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from long-haired leaders of the enemy. No, that's not a, a scripture about long hair. But some people would read that and they say, oh, "I thought God was a loving God. He is. But love is one attribute, and all of His attributes have to harmonize. And God is just. So much so." Here's the epitome. This is the quintessence, the zenith of His justice was sending His own Son to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. Just think of the... You can't tempt God, but when we think in human terms, if you had a son, daughter, only child, and you, you all but worship that child, and they were capable of redeeming someone else. But it would take their death to do it. Wouldn't you, look at, wouldn't you be looking for avenues that you could bend that justice just a little bit? When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He says, If there be any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. If there was any way. You know why there was no other way? You know why God Himself had to go to the horrors of the cross? Is because His justice is perfect. It is perfect in, I don't know what power you would give, in, in infinity. There's no way that He can be unjust. And when His justice and His righteousness combine to form the integrity of God, you know, in a a sense, that's why we're here, is God is proving His integrity, that He is just and He is righteous. Because there was one of His creatures named Lucifer that impugned that. and said, it's not just that you send me to the lake of fire. And rather than just saying, I dare you question my integrity, and off you go, He created another creature a little lesser than the angels, but we have one thing in common, and that is we both have volition and are held responsible for how we use it. And in doing so, it cost God His own Son. 
That's how important it is for us to realize how important God's integrity is to Him. And it should be to us. Now, I'd like everyone please to bow your heads. God's justice should not make us afraid. His justice should inspire us. But if you're afraid because you understand that justice means that you are going to be held accountable for coming short of the glory of God, that you are a sinner, the good news is that our justice, our just and righteous God is also gracious. The sin problem has been taken care of by Christ on the cross. He died and He was buried and He was resurrected and now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And if you're struggling in your soul today, whether you're going to heaven or not, whether you're truly saved or not, it can be settled right now, this moment, with a decision in your own soul. Really, it's a recognition that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. The way that you accept the free gift of eternal life is simply by trusting Him for it, by believing in Christ and His work and not trusting in your own. Father, we're so grateful for Your grace, for the rest that You have made available to us today that we can enter into it. And You have given us the mechanics, the formulas, everything that we need in Your Word as to how to live the abundant life, free of stress, free of all the turmoil in our soul. We pray that You will help us not to just think, okay, that's fine, but to utilize it, to employ it. And when we do, it brings great glory to You and blessings to us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.